Today we're beginning, as you heard just a minute ago, a new series we're calling uh, Kingdom's Economy. And uh, uh, I'm, I'm just excited about just calling it the Kingdom's Economy. Uh, and we're doing it in honor of Brother Francis. Those of you that have been around here a while know that he wrote a book called The Kingdom's Economy. And I think they have it in the, in the coffee shop if you're not familiar with it. But, um, in my opinion, Brother Francis' teaching on finances was just one of the best and the best that you ever hear in the kingdom of God. Amen. In fact, in fact, I think, um, I think, Doug, uh, maybe we could put together, uh, one of his sets of, uh, teachings that he's done. I mean, it's just, it's life changing. It changed my life. And I know it's changed many of you uh, in the, that's sitting here today. But uh, the book, the book is called "The Kingdom is the Kingdom's Economy," which is the point we're going to start this series with this morning. The Kingdom's Economy is an idea that was taken straight from the teachings of Jesus, where he taught concerning two very complete and distinct kingdoms. And he said in Matthew six ten. He taught us to pray, your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, Jesus clearly taught two kingdoms, the kingdom of this earth and the kingdom of the world or, or the kingdom of heaven. And he said, we should pray thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So as Christians, we have dual citizenships. We are part of the kingdom of this earth. We're here. But we're also part of the kingdom of heaven. Can I get a better amen? So the Bible tells us that we're in this world, but we're not of this world. In fact, in John 18, 36, Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. How many of you know his kingdom is separate? The kingdom of God and the kingdom of the world is two very separate and distinct different kingdoms. The kingdom of this world is from below the kingdom of God is from above. The kingdom of the world is governed by darkness. And how many of you know the kingdom of God is governed by light? It's two different, two different kingdoms. Each kingdom has a very different economy that operates under a different spirit and different principles. They, the kingdoms don't operate the same. In fact, in Deuteronomy 30 in verse 19, it says, today I've given you the choice between life and death, between blessings and curses. Now I call on heaven and earth to witness the choice you make. Oh, that you would choose life so that you and your descendants might live. You can make this choice by loving the Lord your God, obeying him and committing yourself firmly to him. This is the key to your life. I love that. What a proposal God gives his children here. And he says, we can choose. We can choose between life and death, between blessing and cursing. Did you know that? That we can make choices every day between life and death, between blessings and cursings. When we choose the kingdom and the economy of God, it will be backed by the spirit and blessing of the life of God. Amen. And, and when we choose the kingdom and the economy of the world, it will be backed by another spirit as well as the death producing 
principles of this kingdom or this world. And so we all have the option to choose which economy that we want to live and operate under. And so did you know that all money has a spirit on it? Now, let me just pause to say, you know, you've heard people say that money is evil. Money is not evil. Right? Money is not evil. Money money is neutral. It's who's got the money. That's where the problem lies. It's it's the love of money that's the root of all evil, right? And so so do all money has the spirit on it. It either has the spirit of God on it or it has the spirit of mammon on it. And that's what Jesus said in Matthew 6 in verse 24, no one can serve two masters for he he will either hate the one and love the other or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. So here again, Jesus makes a distinction between God and mammon. Mammon was an Assyrian god of wealth, which at its heart meant that man doesn't need God. We're self-sufficient. We can trust in our riches. I mean, you know, that's a principle of the world. And so the choice of which the spirit, God, and the economy we want to live under is ours. We can live under the spirit of mammon or we can live under the spirit of God. We can choose to live with the spirit and blessing of God resting on our finances or we can choose to live with the spirit and curse of mammon resting on our finances. IQ test. Which one do you want to live under? Under the favor of God, right? So Josh 24 and 15, Josh said this. And if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your father served that were on the other side of the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the We will serve the Lord. I think that's a decision we should all make today. That for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. Can I get a amen this morning? And so listen, it all boils down to this. If we truly want our money to have God's life-giving spirit and blessing upon it, we have to choose to live under the influence of and power of God's economy, the kingdom economy, and not the world's economy. Amen. And so in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus um, gives us the secret to staying and living in the kingdom's economy, in God's economy. Because every day we will have the choose, whether the choice, whether to live under God's economy or not. And so in Matthew chapter 16, a few verses above the one that we just read, it says this, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in or steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. How many of you know your heart follows your money? That's what Jesus says. So according to Jesus, 
True biblical giving is investing in and storing treasures in heaven. Treasures in heaven. And he, and he expounds and he says, listen, if you got money today, you know, your rust can corrupt it. And, and he talks about a, a robber can break in, moth can destroy it. it. You know, worldly investments can erode away, but heavenly investments are secure. How many of you know that? And so according to Jesus, true biblical giving is investing in treasures in heaven. And so here's some essentials to biblical giving. If you want to live under, here, here's kind of the, the bottom line. Here's the sermon in a nutshell. If you want to live in God's economy, you got to embrace biblical giving. That wasn't good enough. The, the bottom line is today, if you want to live in God's economy with God's favor and God's blessing, you must, you have to, you have to choose to be a kingdom giver. Amen. You got to do that. And so there are three avenues to biblical giving and tapping into the kingdom's economy. The first avenue of participation the Bible instructs us about is the tithe, which means the tenth part or the first tenth of your increase. And so in biblical times, whenever they had 10 lambs, they would take 10 and they would take the first one and they would bring it to the, to the, as an offering of the Lord. And they would keep nine. They get another 10. They would bring one to the temple of the Lord. They would keep nine. That was the way they did it. In Leviticus 27, 30, a tithe of everything from the land, whether grain from the soil or from the fruit of the trees belongs to the Lord. It is holy to the Lord. So 10% of all our increase belongs to the Lord and should be given to the Lord. And so tithing is the starting place of biblical giving and storing up treasures in heaven. Now listen, you might have heard that all churches want is your money. And that may be true, but that's not biblical. It's not a biblical principle. God doesn't want our money. He wants our heart. Amen. He doesn't want our pocketbook. He wants our life. He wants us. And the way he gets to us is through our pocketbook. Amen. So, so the first way, the training wheels of giving is tithing. That's what the scripture says. The second avenue of participation is offerings, which is a voluntary offering given over and above the tithe to a minister, a ministry, or an outreach that is a kingdom-building work. We just took up an offering. It's going to further the kingdom of God, where we're going to encourage these leaders. We're going to feed these leaders. They're going to go back in their villages, and they're going to keep preaching the gospel, and they're going to win people to Christ that have never heard to, about Christ before. And we participate in that. We get a chance to be a part of that. Amen. And you don't ever have to go to Nepal. Amen. You don't have to go to Kathmandu. And so listen, the second avenue is offerings. Malachi 3.8 says, Will a man rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how do we rob you? In tithes and offerings. As you can clearly see, giving offerings is a separate form of biblical giving, which was obviously different than tithing. And so, uh, uh, and, and mentioned after, right here in this passage, it's mentioned after the tithe, which indicates it is to be given after the tithe has been completed. And so you have tithes. There's one bucket. We tithe. Here's another bucket. It's offerings. 
It's anything that we give over and above the tithe to help the kingdom of God flourish. And by the way, whenever you give tithes, when you give offerings, it goes straight to heaven's account. Amen. It goes straight to the accounting system of heaven and you get credit over there. How many of you know that's a good place to earn credit right there in heaven, right? The third avenue of participation in biblical giving that the scripture talks about is alms. Alms are different than offerings and the difference is determined by the recipient of the gift. Alms were to be given to someone who cannot help themselves or incapable of repaying you back. In fact, in, in, in Matthew chapter 6, in verse 1, it says, Take heed that you do not your alms before men to be seen of them. Otherwise, you have no reward of your Father which is in heaven. So alms, according to the scripture, are a gift of mercy to the very helpless. And so in biblical times, they were the blind, they were the lame, they were the physically handicapped. And they were the beggars. They were people that were destitute. They were people that had real needs. Amen? Tithing, offerings, and alms. These are three main ways of participating in the kingdom's economy. They're three biblical pathways of tapping in and living in God's economy. If you're interested, if you want to, this is how you get there. Amen? Another essential to biblical giving is that we must have the proper motivation for giving. Listen, it's not just good enough just to give biblically. You must give with a proper motivation. And so listen, the proper motivation really determines whether God honors or whether God receives our giving or not, right? And so the proper motivation of tithing, the scripture tells us, is obedience. It's a decision carried out through obedience and, and, and the knowledge of the scriptures. Once we learn about tithing, once we learn what the scripture talks about tithing, once we learn and understand, then we, we have to make the decision to trust God and obey God by faith. How many of you know that tithing is a faith step? It's a faith journey. It's a, it, whenever we tithe, we say, God, I trust you. Are y'all with me out there? And so our motivation for tithing should be strictly in obedience to God. God, you said every $10 I get, I should give you one. I'm going to do that. I'm going to bring it to the storehouse. In Malachi 3.10, it says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse so that they may be food in my house. And so listen, you can't wait for a feeling. As soon as I get the feeling, Todd, I'm going to start tithing. You can't wait for the feeling. Amen. Just like you can't wait for the feeling to love your spouse. You got to love them. Amen. And so, listen, you can't wait for the feeling to start tithing. You just have to obey. And just as just an act of obedience to the word of God, that's the reason why we do it. Are y'all with me out here? All right. Now, the proper, so the proper motivation for tithing is the Bible tells us to do it. And we just say, Lord, I believe your principles. In fact, you know, I was just reading just recently, you, even fruit trees, they would make you like when you planted a fruit tree, you wouldn't use the fruit for a few years and you just let it fall on the ground. It was a way to tithe that tree. And then he said, now after a few years, then you start eating the fruit of it. God's economy is different. How many of you know you're not going to hear this downtown? You're probably not going to hear this at Edward Jones, right? But come on, this is the kingdom economy that we're talking about. How many of you know it's a superior economy, brothers and sisters? 
How about, how many of you know, God's economy is going to fall flat. It's going to fall. It's going to, it's going to corrupt. It's going to, it's going to, it's going to end. But God's economy is going to last forever and ever and ever. Amen. And so now what's the proper motivation for giving offerings? If tithing is obedience, what is it for offerings? The, the, the proper motivation for giving offerings, it's, it's a free will. Unlike tithing, which we're commanded to give, offerings are different. You don't have to. Offerings are voluntary. We don't have to give offerings. You don't have to do it if you don't want to. The motivation is you want to give, but you don't have to give. Are y'all with me out there? It's a free will. Second Corinthians 10, 9, or Second Corinthians 9 and 7 says, so let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. So our motivation in giving offering is we want to and we we should give offerings, amen? Willingly, not grudgingly, or not out of necessity, because we want to, and we not because we have to, and because we're or not because we're pressured to give. Amen. Now the third motivation, so you have obedience for tithes. You have free will for offerings. The proper motivation for giving alms. Why do we give alms? It's because of the need. Concerning offerings, we are instructed not to give grudgingly or out of necessity or due to a need. But our motivation for giving alms is because we see the need. We see a need and we want to reach them. We're moved with compassion and we want to give to them. Remember when Peter and John went into the temple and they saw a crippled man, and he was begging, and he was seeking alms. He was a poor man in need. Alms are for the poor and the needy. And let me just, I don't know why, I just feel a need to say, just because somebody carries a little piece of cardboard and says, I'm hungry, doesn't necessarily mean they have a need. But I feel like I need to elaborate a little bit uh, more. I had a lady come up right here at the altar and tell me her mom was one of those people and she was bragging about how much money she made that day. Come on, how many of you know it could be a job? All right, now, alms means giving to a need. And whenever we give to people in need, it touches the heart of God. And God appreciates it. Amen? So listen, we don't need to, we don't need to necessarily trust anybody that says I have a need, but we also don't want to get callous to people in need. Come on, are y'all with me out there? A third essential to biblical giving is we must have the proper heart and motive for giving. To properly give biblically, you must give with a proper heart and with the right motive. You see, why should we tithe? The motive of our tithing or the heart for tithing is our faith. We do it because we trust God. We do it because we believe that God is a better source than the government or the world or the systems of this earth. Amen. Are y'all with me out there? And so listen, the motive of our heart for tithing is our faith. We trust God. Come on, do you trust God? And so Malachi 3.10 says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that they may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have room enough for it. Now, this verse actually dares us 
and says, test me now in this. He dares us to believe and to trust God. It's the only place in the Bible that the Bible encourages us to test God. In fact, in other places, it says, don't test God, right? But here it says something different. Listen, nothing, listen, nothing keeps our hearts free from the spirit of greed and mammon like sacrificial giving. You know, whenever I first started, Brother Francis always, he'd just say, here it is, boom. And he'd just say it so matter-of-factly, and I was like, man, he was so confident. But he had his testimony to back it up. When I first started passing, I would just kind of like, and so you got you to gotta tie. And, and I was just very, I, didn't, I hope I don't hurt your feelings by saying that. Hey, you know what? I'm at the point now. Come on, you know where I'm going, right? Hey, you want to you wanna be in God's economy? Come on, break the spirit of greed and mammon off of you and begin to give to God. Amen. Amen. Come on. If you believe that, say amen. I don't know where I'm at, so I'm going to try to find my place here. Faith is the main currency of God's kingdom and economy. You see, people look at George Washington, but it's not George Washington or Abraham Lee, whoever's on them, them things. You have to see beyond the putting that, that dollar bill in that tithe box. You got to look at it beyond that. It takes eyes of faith. I'm preaching right now. It takes a heart that realizes that, listen, listen, social security can't end. Yeah, oh no, that, that, that check's coming in. Well, let the government shut down. Right? But how many of you know God's economy will never fail us, brothers and sisters. Amen? What's our heart and motive for giving tithe? It's our faith. What's our motive for giving offerings? It should be our generosity and our love for the kingdom, our sacrificial generosity. Man, if we really understand the kingdom of God, that God is spreading the gospel, he's bringing the gospel throughout the earth. Right now, as I'm preaching right here in Lafayette, in Scott, there are people all over in this nation, in this in this state, in this city, in this world. They're in the pulpits. They're preaching Christ. They're preaching Christ crucified. They're preaching Christ died for our sins. He shed his innocent blood. That if you forgive, if you ask his forgiveness, you surrender your heart and your life to him. Your eternal life can be made secure. And when you die, you can spend eternity in heaven. That's the best news that anybody can tell somebody. But you know what? That message, that message cost. That message has to be fueled with currency. And when we give our offerings, it's because we have a vision. We have understanding that, listen, my little camper and my little boat and my little whatever, it's going to, it's going to burn up. It's going to, it's going to dry rot. It's going to tear up. It's going to tear down. It's not going to last forever. But whenever I send an offering into heaven for the kingdom of God, ain't no robber can take that offering. Amen. Ain't no moth can go fly by and steal that offering. It's secure in heaven. Amen. Yes. Amen. And so, nothing keeps our hearts free from the spirit of greed and mammon like sacrificial giving. And so, the motive for giving offerings is because of the vision, is because of the, the understanding, the compassion, and the heart for the kingdom of God. 
Folks, every one of us should have a missions mind and a missions heart. I want to go off on missions right now. But listen, do we realize that if you don't get saved, you don't go to heaven? Do we realize that? If you realize that, say yes. Shouldn't we be really serious about winning the loss? Shouldn't we be serious about everybody we talk to? Don't curse them out. Win them to the Lord. Don't tell them your opinion. Will them to the Lord. Come on, preach the gospel. And if you got to use words, use words. Amen. But we should be about the Father's business, right? Amen. I just went off on a tangent there. All right, back to the kingdom's economy. All right, what's our motive for giving alms? What should be the motive there? The motive for giving alms is our compassion. Compassion for the circumstances and needs of others. Listen, as children of God who are filled with God's grace, we should be at times moved with compassion. We should be moved. And that takes the grace of God. How many of you know that? Jesus was moved with compassion. The Bible says in Mark 6 and verse 34, and Jesus, when he came out, he saw much people and he was moved with compassion toward them because they were as sheep not having a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. Jesus had compassion for people. And we're supposed to be like Jesus, right? And we should be moved with compassion. We shouldn't be able to see dire need and just be able to look at it in the face and not have any feelings towards it. We should ask God, God, give me a tender heart, not a hard heart. Give me a compassionate heart, not a calloused heart. We should ask the Lord, Lord, give me a tenderness like you have. That when we see people, we don't just see the outside shell, but we see in the countenance of their face. We see the hurt and the suffering that's going on inside of them. Amen. I heard somebody wisely point out every time Jesus was moved with compassion, a miracle took place. Man. I really believe that, that when we're moved with compassion for the needs of others, the more miracles we're going to see in our lifetime. You know, just and not this past Wednesday, the Wednesday before, there's a group here in town. I don't want to embarrass them, point them out, but some of them are in this church here today. But, you know, they put their their money together and they, they catered a really nice meal for some men at LPCC that participated, by the way, in prayer and fasting. And those guys, some of them are hardened criminals. They've been there and there for really serious things, like murder. They fed, they fed these, these, these inmates this wonderful meal. We preached the, the encouraging word of God to them. The spirit of God was in that. I mean, I wanted to resign Family Life Church and become the pastor of LPCC. I'm telling you, those brothers were having church up in there. Amen. But you know what? Some people say, oh, well, they belong in there. Well, it's their fault they're in there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Have you ever made a mistake? Okay, let me move on. All right. Yeah, that, yeah, yeah, that's true. But listen. Don't they deserve the grace of God, the mercy of God? Amen. Don't they deserve the kindness of God? But you know what? You know, the alms given, just the giving, the sacrificial giving, 
These people were moved with compassion and said, listen, these people are on their back right now. They're in a bad place. But you know what? Jesus loves them just like he loves us and loves everybody that's going to church today with their Sunday best. Amen. And listen, we got to do what we can to reach out to them and love them in the kingdom of God. Amen. And listen, thank God he didn't give up on me. Thank God he didn't give up on you. And then listen, you got to have compassion to know that God is a God of mercy and he don't give up on us. Amen. You got to be moved with compassion. That's what motivates almsgiving. Now, a fourth essential to biblical giving is that we must have the correct attitude for giving. Attitude is everything. It's not just what we do that matters, but the attitude in which we do it that matters, right? Listen, you can be doing the right thing, like giving biblically, but with the wrong attitude. Come on, y'all with me out there. Remember when Jesus visited Mary and Martha's house? And Martha was doing the right thing. What she was doing, she was serving. She was serving Jesus. She was cooking a meal for the Savior. But she had the wrong attitude. Remember that? In Luke 10, 40, but Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and she asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. It doesn't say, it doesn't use that inflection. But I think it had to be there, right? I think if we could, if we could grab the inflections of her voice, I'm sure she'd have probably had a little sway with her neck too, right? Jesus, don't you care? But listen, she was giving, she was serving, but she had the wrong what? Attitude. The attitude we should have towards tithing is stewardship. A steward is someone who has been put in charge of someone else's goods. In 1 Corinthians 4.2, it says, it is required of stewards that he is found faithful. Do we really realize that if we have any dollars in our wallet, it's because God graced us with them? Leviticus 27.30 says, a tithe of everything from the land, whether grain from the soil, fruit from the trees, belongs to the Lord. It is holy to the Lord. The tithe belongs to the Lord, according to Scripture. So tithing is not giving the Lord anything. It's just returning to God what is already His. Come on, I need a better amen. That's what stewardship is. It's being responsible for what somebody else has. So our attitude for tithing should be to be a faithful steward and faithfully return back to God what is already His, the tithe. Amen? The attitude we should have towards giving offerings is cheerfulness. Our attitude when giving offerings should be marked by an attitude of cheerfulness. Amen? And so we shouldn't give grudgingly or out of necessity, but with the blessing. And that's what 2 Corinthians 9, 6 says. Remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each man should give what he has, decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that in all things at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Now, did you catch what the, what, uh, the Scripture says here? 
It says in verse 7, God loves a cheerful giver. Amen. And, and we do too. Right? We love cheerful givers too. How about, how about if I would give you a gift, not because I want to, but because I felt forced to? Uh, Dixie, I got a gift for you here. Here's some gifts and I don't really want to give you this, but the Lord convicted me and he's telling me, I got to give you this. Oh, you would be moved to tears, right? You would love the gift because I'm giving it to you with such a great attitude. How many of you know the Lord wants us to give with a good attitude? He don't want us to be grudgingly. God, I can't believe this. 10%. Well, just the thought, it could be 90%. How many of you know it's not how much we have that determines our attitude of giving? It's our generosity that determines our attitude of giving. It's, it's not how much we have that determines our attitude of giving. It's our generosity. It's our generosity. I think it's a stingy people that struggle with giving cheerfully. Come on, can I talk to you for just a moment? You see, some of us, look, some of us, you know, Brother Francis's testimony was he struggled with giving to the poor. And, you know, he said, there ain't no poor. He used to say that. It's like, yeah, I think so, Brother. No, there ain't no poor. You know, but he, you know, his testimony was that he grew up poor. And so he had struggled. He struggled with giving. But God met him at his place of need. And the truth is, some of us, some of us have the gift of giving. Man, we, we're looking for an opportunity to give. That's some people. But some people on the other, other side of the spectrum. And we're not, we're not givers. We're stingy. And God wants to deliver us from the spirit of stinginess. Come on, you can say amen right there. Amen? And listen, because what happens is if he can break that spirit off of us, we're gonna be, we're gonna, we're gonna operate in a freedom we never had before. You know, you heard that story of that monkey or uh, something like a, a kangaroo, not a kangaroo, but an ape or something. And, uh, they put a, they put a banana in a jar and, uh, he reached out there to get the banana. And, uh, but he couldn't pull the banana out of the hole. He reached in the hole, got the banana, and he couldn't get it out. So he died with the banana in his hand because he wouldn't let go of the banana. Wow. I'm just going to let that sit. The moral of the story is... But are, are y'all, are y'all receiving this this morning? The attitude we should have towards alms is pity. Pity is having the attitude of sorrow, sympathy for the suffering, distress, and misfortune of others. Proverbs 19.17 says, He that hath pity upon the poor lendeth unto the Lord, and that which he hath given will he pay him again. If you want to make a great investment, lend to the Lord by giving alms.
having pity and giving alms is being the hands and feet of Jesus. Amen. And when we give alms to someone who who could never ex- we could never expect to pay us back, it touches the heart of God. You know why? Because God cares for them. God cares for them. And the more like God we become, the more generous we should be, the more compassionate we should be. You know, James 1.27 says, Pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and the widows in their affliction and to keep himself unspotted from the world. God's heart for the poor. God's heart for the orphans and the widows. How many of you know? I mean, we've all been around. Whenever we get around a child that doesn't have any parents, our heart breaks. So you don't have a mama, you don't have a daddy. Oh my goodness. When we get around a widow that lost lost her her her, her soulmate and she she lost the person she loved the most and been living with them for a long time. You know what? Every time I get around someone that like like Miss Babs, you know, Brother Francis always looked at Miss Babs as an orphan and felt like his 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 purpose in life is to take care of her. But man, how many of you know God's heart is to take care of Miss Babs? Come on, are y'all with me out there? And so God's heart is for the poor, the widows, the orphans. Attitude is everything. It's not just what we do that matters, but the attitude in which we do it that matters. And listen, you can be doing the right thing, like given biblically, but with the wrong attitude. And it's kind of like, even though we get the answers right, if our attitude is not right, we still didn't pass the test. Come on, y'all help me preach this morning. Come on, we got to give till our attitude gets right. Amen. Amen. And that's when God can begin to bless us. Why? Because God loves cheerful givers. Amen. See, biblical giving puts you into the kingdom's economy with a promised blessing from God. You know, you know, it releases you from, it releases Financial freedom in Malachi 3.8. Will a man rob God, yet you're robbing me? But you say, how? Have you we robbed you in tithes and offerings? You are cursed with a curse. You're robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that they may be food in my house, and test me now in this, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open up for, the, for you the windows of heaven, pour out blessing until it overflows, then I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not destroy the fruits of the ground, nor will your vine in the field cast its grapes, says the Lord of hosts. And all the nations will call you blessed, for you shall be a delightful land, says the Lord of hosts. Amen. God promises the tither. He will rebuke the devourer off your finances. And so, so they won't destroy our fruits. Amen. Come on. You get the God of mammon off of your money by tithing, right? And so giving offerings brings financial multiplication. Jesus said in Luke 6.38, Give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together. Running over, will put into your bosom. For with the same measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. This is an all-inclusive scriptural promise. It's the law of sowing and reaping. Just before he said, sow mercy, you're going to reap, sir. You're going to, you're going to reap mercy. Sow judgment, you're going to reap judgment. He says, give and you're going to, it's going to, it's going to come back to you. You know, the, the modern day, 
you know, we say pay it forward and we say, you know, it always comes back. No, the biblical principle is sow and you reap. Amen. Give and it shall be given back to you. It's the law of multiplication. The bottom line is God will bless the generous heart that learns to give biblically. Do y'all do agree with that? Do y'all believe that this morning? And then listen, those who give alms are promised to have God with them in trouble. In Psalm 41, 1 and 3, it says, Blessed is he who considers the poor. The Lord will deliver him in trouble. The Lord will preserve him and keep him alive. And he will be blessed on the earth. He will not deliver him him to the will of his enemies. The Lord will strengthen him on his bed of illness. He, you will sustain him on his sick bed. Wow, what a promise to those who consider the poor. Come on, he says, God will be with you in trouble. God will deliver you. God will protect and preserve you. God will keep you alive. He shall be blessed upon the earth. He will not deliver him into the will of his enemies. God will strengthen, sustain, refresh you upon your sickbed of languishing. God will turn, change, and transform you in your illness. Wow. Come on. That's a list of blessings right there. Amen. Come on. How many of you receive that this morning? Amen. We have the option to choose. Amen. Which economy we want to live in? The economy of the world or the kingdom economy. Amen. You know, I, I'm just at the place now where it's just like, man, it's exciting to preach this. Because see, at 22 years old, I came into this church. Brother Francis taught. This is Brother Francis's stuff. I learned this from Brother Francis. I, I wasn't generous. I had to learn it. I had to learn it. I mean, the tithing thing, oh my goodness, it's a struggle. I was a slow learner. My teachers would have told you that in school, but you know, but you know what I'm saying. But man, I could tell you, I could tell you testimony after testimony of how God has worked in my life. Where when the boss wouldn't give me a promotion, God gave me a promotion. When my employer wouldn't give me a raise, God gave me a raise. Amen. Whenever I was in trouble, how God delivered me. Come on, this passage of scripture, Brother Francis, God spoke this to Brother Francis, right, Miss Babs? He was, he had a mitral valve leak and it was, blood was going back and the doctor said, you got to change it. And he's like, well, man, you know, open heart surgery. Uh, I don't want to sign up for that. And, but it's leaking and I got to get it changed. And he read this one day and he said, blessed are those who help the poor. And he had that mindset, right? There's no poor people. They just want to go to work and all this. And God began to work on him. And he said, I got to find some genuine poor people. And he called brother Mike Clark in Guatemala and said, hey, now they're, they're helping poor. And he gave finances to Mike and Dottie. He called Brother Larry Myers that was reaching out to the Hispanic people in Me all over Mexico that didn't have a blanket to keep warm at night and, and all this stuff. And he started sowing seed before Brother Larry even preached. Brother Francis gave him a check and he said, wow, I hadn't preached yet. He said, well, you're not that good. And he just gave him a check and he blessed him and he said, go help the poor. And you know, listen, the Lord sustained Brother Francis like for six years before he had the surgery. And then he had the surgery. I think it was in like 1998 maybe or something like that. And if you count the days, that was like 20 years later. God gave him another 20 years. And Brother Francis could say to you that God helps me whenever I help the poor. God will bless you when you learn how to give. Amen. He's the one that said that the pharmacist stopped him in town and said, where are you doing business? 
business. And he said, uh, what, what do you mean? He said, well, you don't come to my pharmacy anymore. And he got the revelation. Oh my goodness. Since I started tithing and giving to God, my children aren't sick. I don't need medicine. Come on. God's economy is a blessed economy. God's economy is a favor. It doesn't mean you, you it doesn't mean your washing won't go out. It won't mean your tire, the tread on your tires won't run out. But how many of you know God's will is the best will? God's way is the best way. Amen. And I encourage you through biblical giving, jump into the kingdom's economy. Amen. Would you stand with me? Let's close in prayer. Amen. Amen. Praise you, Father. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Everything we talked about, entering in the kingdom of God, we have to first choose to serve the Lord. And Jesus, remember what Josh, Joshua said in, in Joshua 24, as for me and my house, I'm going to serve the Lord. You know, some of you, maybe this message might be hard to swallow. And I understand. I totally get it. I understand. But I just want to encourage you. I just want to encourage you. Open your heart. Open your spirit. Let God help you. Let God teach you. Amen. It all begins by serving God. You got to give your heart to Him. I don't know if you've ever done this, but if you would just bow your head with me. Just close your eyes for just a second. If you're here today and you say, Todd, I don't even know if I'm a Christian. I don't know if I'm saved. Would you pray for me today? If that's you, would you just lift your hand? I want to pray for you because that's where it all starts whenever you give your life to Christ. Just hold it up high so I can see it. And I want to pray for you. I want to pray a special prayer. Thank you, sir. I see you. Thank you for being so bold, man. I appreciate you being so bold. Anybody else right here, ma'am, I see your hand. Thank you. Thank you for just being so courageous. This is a choice. This is life. Right over here, ma'am, I see your hand. This is a choice of life. Let's pray this prayer together. Say, Lord Jesus, thank you for giving, giving of your, your son to die on the cross. Thank you, Jesus, for being a giver and giving your life, shedding your blood so my sins could be forgiven. Lord Jesus, I ask you to forgive me. I ask you to cleanse me. I ask you to wash my sins away. I surrender to you. I want to be born again. I want to live the Christian life. Help me, Lord, to live your, your life. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. 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 Now listen, those of you that raised your hands, those that, that made that decision today, there's a card in the pew says, I made a decision. Take the time to fill that out. Bring it in the lobby. We're not going to harass you, but we have a gift for you. We want to put some tools in your hand to help you get started on this journey because it's the greatest journey you will ever embark on, the greatest decision you'll ever make. Will y'all agree with that? Amen. So just take the time to do it. Father, I pray, open heaven today on every family, every heart, every life that is here today. Lord, grace us with the, with the power, the strength that we need today, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. You're dismissed. Have a great day.